without further ado, I think this is the moment to get started. We've waited long enough, and I've got a lot of questions for you, Alexander. So let's uh, let's jump into it. As I mentioned before, I'm here with Alexander. He is one of the lead maintainers of Petroni and the other one, which I, I lovingly call Spicoli, but that's not the name of the operator. It is, what is it? Spillo. Spillo, yeah. Uh, actually, but, but like probably I should introduce a little bit um, to the German language. Like basically, uh, Patronian Spiller, those are Georgian words. Spiller translates mm. to English as elephant. That's very simple and hilarious. Uh, okay. And uh, unfortunately, like we took this word for uh, like this Docker image, which, uh, which packages Patroni and uh, Postgres and a lot of useful stuff. But uh, when like, but before actually Patroni appeared to like to, to the world, world um, we uh, were using Governor. Like it's a composed governor. Huh. It's actually a prototype of Patroni. Like a, and and, <clears throat> and uh, it wasn't actively maintained, and we decided to fork it. And uh, like I think original code of governor was only something like four hundred lines of Python. But like nowadays in Patroni, it's very close to fifteen thousand. I think. Wow. And uh, like uh, after we forked uh, governor. We, started looking for a name and of course I decided to ask uh, our Georgian friend it was like our former boss uh, at Zalanda and uh, he came up with the name Patroni and Patroni uh, it's um, something like Georgian feudal uh, or like he owns something you, like for example owns a pet and in this case pet is an elephant so, so, so there's the Patroni history is lesson. The owner of of an elephant. That's awesome. So, so that makes sense because this is a gigantic project, almost like an elephant. And you are Mr. Petroni, the owner of this elephant, in a way. And so let's uh, let's dive right into it, man. I want to jump into so many different questions. First of all, mm-hmm. we can consider you are i don't know if you call yourself this but i think that you're a big fan of postgres and i want to know you're a postgres fanatic we could say uh i want to know why what is it about postgres that attracts you so much well it's a very advanced open source database it's like fully free like it's not owned by anybody it's developed by community so there is not a single company which stands behind like there are a few com- like uh, big consulting companies which contribute features uh, like uh, there are a few in- independent developers who al- also can do this like uh, i really like its freedom and at the same time like for example postgres allows you to fork it and uh, like let's say to sell your own fork of course like except some big companies not many people do this uh, it doesn't make sense but uh, in general, uh, like if you miss something, for example, like from Postgres, you can easily, uh, sometimes not easily, of course, but like you, you can implement this missing feature yourself. You can propose this change to community. Community will review, uh, like provide a feedback, and uh, at the end, like this feature will be included into the core, like if it is a very useful feature, um, hmm. like. That's a lot of freedom about Postgres. And uh, Postgres is very extensible. Like, 
you like if sometimes you want to have something like uh, you may not get it into the core Postgres, but you can still implement it as an extension. And on the market, there are a lot of very useful Postgres extensions, like for example, TimescaleDB. DB. Uh, it's a Postgres extension for working uh, with uh, time series data. Like it allows to efficiently insert this data, store it, and uh, at latest re releases there is even um, some very good compression in included into TimescaleDB, DB, which allows nice. like compressing data like the ten or twenty or sometimes thirty times. Mm. So apparently, you save a lot of uh, disk space. Uh, hmm. With that in mind, I mean, obviously, we we understand. Big fan of Postgres. Uh, looking, comparing with with other relational databases, what are things okay. you think that that obviously you've explained some of the advantages regarding freedom, open source, things of that nature. Yeah. What are some of the other advantages, and maybe what are some of the things that Postgres might be able to learn from some of those other relational databases? Well, so in Postgres, like from maybe not very uh, like first days, but uh, like definitely for a long time, uh, there is available transactional DDL. Like you can uh, instantly add new column to the table. Like not many po like databases can do this because they usually will re rewrite the whole table. And good luck adding a new column to one terabyte table. Uh, so like it allows to, uh, for example, create indexes without taking heavy locks. Um, and like. But like, if we talk about disadvantages, like uh, some people uh, don't really like uh, the way how MVCC and Postgres is implemented. Like comparing to Oracle or MySQL, uh, like we don't have uh, uh, undo logs, like only let's say redo uh, right ahead log, and it means that when you uh, update the tuple, uh, Postgres does not update it in place. It inserts the, the new version of the tuple. And only afterwards, uh, after vacuum comes and uh, cleans up the space after the dead tuple, and uh, you can, uh, you, you, and you are able to reuse the space. And like, as a consequence, you get some bloat on the tables, You but the biggest problem is that you get some bloat on indexes. and. Basically, indexes are like will never shrink. Although in the other databases, they are not growing so fast. They are not so prone to bloat. And uh, yeah, so it's a uh, there are some uh, there is some work in the community to implement um, that heap, which basically uh, will do uh, like implement uh, like undo logs for Postgres and. Like, more or less the same way as uh, other databases are doing it, but it's a very long way and take, I don't know, like a few years more hmm. to get it done. So like talking about community and what the Postgres community is doing, I know that Zalando is a huge contributor to open source projects, not just the Postgres community projects, but uh, many different ones. So I wanted to dive into Zalando's theory or their ethos around contributing to these open source projects real fast. And what is it about the Zalando culture that encourages that? Oh, yeah, it's a tough question. Like, in general, we, we use a lot of open source. Like, uh, 
really a lot. Sometimes you uh, find bugs. Sometimes like you uh, want to get some new features into open source. Therefore, you just naturally fork project and uh, like cont contribute bug fix or contribute new feature. Like, but uh, in some other cases, um, if you develop the new software, like new library, uh, you can also uh, give it to like outside world that everybody can benefit. And uh, the idea is that like the, the more user base you have, like the better like testing you get. Like uh, when people use your software, they report bugs, they test it um, very extensively. Uh, you don't always have so much time like uh, for such processes. Uh, basically, it's very beneficial to like have some projects in in, in the open, in my opinion. But regarding Zalando, like there is a process nowadays, like you, you can't immediately start like a new project in the open, like you have to grow this project internally. And in case if uh, it makes sense to open source it, it's published in, um, in the, uh, not Zalando repository, but uh, in Zalando incubator. So where okay. it's supposed to grow. Like, nice. And like, in some like we have examples when projects really uh, skyrocketed and got like a few thousand GitHub stars, like got a lot of um, feedback, get a lot of con contributors, but uh, those are not hosted at Zalanda. Um, it those are actually regarding machine learning and um, uh, similar stuff. Okay. Like, so. Uh, like there is a Zalanda research or something like this. I don't remember precisely. Mm -hmm. And were you contributing to the Postgres community before you were working at Zalando, or was that something that came up as you started working there? And for people out there that don't know what Zalando is, it's a gigantic e-commerce uh, store, right? In here in Europe and primarily Germany. Well, so it's not only Germany, it's basically nearly entire Europe. Like there are not so many countries mm -hmm. where we don't ship stuff. Uh, well, before Zalanda, I was like contributing to open source, but not so actively, I would say. Because like I was always working for very small companies and uh, you don't have uh, so much time and uh, like for, for such stuff. Like yeah, yeah, probably sure. one of uh, like m not significant, but actually it was very little contri contribution. It was like to Nginx in two thousand five, if I remember cor correctly. Like it was just in the beginning of his journey, Nginx, uh, like web server, and uh, I found one like very little issue, and uh, basically I re reported this issue and also thought about fixing it and then a star was born mr petroni <laughs> not really star i don't know ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're too humble so let's talk about this zalando operator and these the three that are out there and can you just give us a breakdown on the differences between the three when to use one and when to use the other oh uh, well, well so 
what kind of like either talking about Zalando operator or Postgres operators in general. The sorry, the Zalando operators. The I'm thinking specifically about the about Petroni and uh, Spillo, and then the Postgres operator that Zalando uh, created. Uh, okay, yeah. So basically, it's a classical example of a multi-tier application. Like every layer is responsible uh, for its own drop. Uh, Patroni is responsible for high availability for Postgres, and uh, like Patroni originally was uh, working only with ATCD, like it, it, it uses ATCD uh, to, to uh, keep the cluster state, and basically in ATCD we keep information which no node is running as a leader, as a master. Um, later we added support of uh, like a Zookeeper, console, and uh, I think three years ago or so, like uh, we implemented, like I implemented support of uh, Kubernetes API for leader election. And basically with Patron, you can deploy Postgres on Kubernetes without any third party dependencies, without nothing. Like you, you don't even need to have Spilo or you don't even need to have a Postgres operator for that. You can basically build very slim Docker image with Patroni, Postgres, and you are good to go. It, it, it will work. Uh, Spilo, uh, it's a kind of more advanced uh, topic in terms of uh, Docker images. It packages not, not only one uh, Postgres and uh, Patroni, we package uh, all supported Postgres versions. It's nowadays starting from 9.5 to uh, 12. Uh, we did not yet finish the um, Postgres 13 because some package, some very useful packages are still missing. And uh, on top of that, we also have in Spila Wally. It's a tool for backup. Like there is also discipline of Wally. It's a Wally. It's basically the re-implementation of the same backup tool in Golang, and it. It become actually more popular probably than Wally itself. Uh, what else? We also have PGQ and a lot of like very useful extensions like TimescaleDB, uh, like, uh, Time DB, like uh, PostJS and so on. Uh, again, like we can deploy highly available Postgres uh, with Spila, like on a lot of different environments. Like wh wherever you can start this Docker image, you, you can get uh, highly available Postgres. Um, and uh, Postgres operator it solves uh, very high level tasks. Like first of all, we need to orchestrate such deployments. Uh, Postgres operator also like helps to manage Postgres configuration or like spill configuration. For example, where we want to uh, keep backups in which S3 bucket. Uh, what credentials should we use? Uh, how often should we push base backup? Something like this. Um, besides that, like besides that, Postgres operator is taking care about user management. Uh, we have internal uh, user API. Basically, when you deploy the cluster, you specify uh, which team owns the specific cluster, and Postgres operator will uh, call user uh, API. It will get list of users uh, and will create these users in the database. And just yeah. to get to this point, um, you know, as an organization, company culture-wise, how how did the decision-making process, uh, how did you get to the point where you decided, all right, we need to write an operator, and also the decision, why do it as an operator? 
Well, so before we started with the operator, we we were already running something like 250, very close to 300 uh, Postgres clusters on uh, EC2. Like uh, th those were of very different size, starting from like just a few megabytes because people just keep some configuration data uh, in this in these databases. Some other clusters were already quite big, like one terabyte or a few terabytes in size. And uh, of course, uh, like uh, there was some uh, difference between production and staging. On staging, in general, you don't you usually don't have so much data, and uh, you don't need maybe so much high availability from staging. Like if for production we normally run uh, three nodes, then for staging we can easily run two. And uh, at some moment, we were so overwhelmed with uh, requests of uh, deploying new clusters and uh, like or doing some management on on existing clusters that we decided, uh, okay, so we need some more automation. And uh, exactly around this time, uh, like first uh, production deployments of Kubernetes happened at Zalanda, uh, and we naturally started looking at it because. Uh, this approach of uh, uh, keeping all, uh, uh, what was a good word for that? Uh, like you, you write all your configuration in declarative format, you deploy and you get uh, everything up and running. <laughs> the like such. Yeah. I mean, also just uh, looking historically speaking, just because of spying on you a little bit, looking at some videos on YouTube, in 2018, you mentioned that Zolando had about uh, over a thousand databases in data centers and asset cluster and in AWS being managed by DBAs and, and other yeah. Kubernetes clusters. Then in 2019, over 300 databases on premise and over a thousand clusters in the AWS cloud. Right now, where are you at and how has that grown? And what do you think is gonna happen in the in the next steps? Oh, so uh, probably I should first finish a little bit uh, with like with operator. So like mm. we started developing it, and uh, like as long as uh, it was in a state that we can uh, migrate staging, that's what we immediately did. Like basically, we migrated all staging clusters to Kubernetes, like and they were already managed by operator. And like most of incoming requests to deploy some staging, testing, whatever they were all already handled automatically. Like you just de deploy CRD manifest and you, you, you get your cluster just within uh, one minute. That's, that was very handy. And uh, from that moment, uh, like until we actually went to production, it, it was probably another half a year. And uh, like when we started running uh, like operator in production, the amount of production deployments of on Kubernetes was always growing. Nowadays, we have probably more than eight hundred uh, production clusters on on Kubernetes. Like at the same time, on uh, the, the amount of clusters we, which we run ourselves on EC2 instances, uh, also with the help of Patroni, is uh, like going down. Not so fast as we would like to. Not all workloads are good for Kubernetes yet. Uh, and like we have still some fair share of databases in the data center, but uh, our goal to migrate everything till the end of next year, like to to, to the clouds. Hmm. 
So it's a it's a it's a slow process, unfortunately, because like it, it used to be a monolith, and like uh, all, all attempts to split the monolith uh, did not succeed yet, and uh, pro probably some of these applications and databases will be migrated as it is. Some others probably will be uh, cut into pieces, but it's a long process. Yeah, I I remember seeing a video with you. I think it was at the Percona Live, and you were talking about that very problem where it was like, "Hey, we we need ten, or we use ten terabytes a year, or something like that, and we only have five hundred gigs left, and so we need to migrate, or we need to figure something out fast because we only have about three months before shit really hits the fan." Uh, so. I'll link to that, whoever wants to check it out. It's a great talk from you. But getting into the idea of operators a bit more, I'm wondering when do you feel an operator is needed? Like when should the average company or person implement an operator? Should it be done right from the beginning? Or is it when you start having these pains that you were speaking of earlier? Well, so if you like... It all depends on business requirements. Like uh, there are different requirements on availability, on uh, like uh, recovery time, time on uh, data loss uh, window, and so on. And uh, like in, in some cases, if you just have a single single database and you can afford the downtime, maybe like I don't know, uh, in case of incident, up to thirty minutes. You don't even need high availability. You don't need an uh, operator. You need nothing. Like you just need uh, to have a DBA, maybe just a consultant, which uh, will deploy this cluster and from time to time like, do some maintenance. Like in case if you already have a dozen of clusters, maybe like uh, you still can do it uh, manually. Like it depends on how good is your ha hardware, how often it fails. Uh, like but if you uh, Start, start start dealing with um, dozens of clusters or hundreds, you definitely need uh, like very high level of automation. And uh, yeah, this is where operator like is very handy. Like maybe for uh, 10 databases on Kubernetes, operator is already a good thing. Uh, for someone, maybe even uh, like a single cluster is already, would be a good fit for operator because you don't need to uh, like, uh, know uh, quite a lot of details about Postgres. Like, operator already encapsulated this knowledge into itself. Like if not operators, then uh, there is some hidden knowledge in Spila and uh, like, or in Patroni. Like for, for example, Patroni knows how to deal with uh, PG Rewind. Like, hmm. because like when you, uh, when your primary failed, it might happen that it, already committed something to the right ahead log, but these transactions, for example, haven't been reported to the client. But at the same time, these transactions um, didn't reach the replica, which was promoted. Mm -hmm. like, Patroni like, can help uh, to resolve such issue because uh, uh, rebuilding uh, like multi-terabyte database from scratch a, like, take, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. Like it all, it all depends. Like just for me, uh, like without operator, it wouldn't be very hard to manage like a few uh, hundred deployments. 
but right now like uh, most of uh, configuration management like some fine tuning could be done by developers like they have all control yeah great to know so i've got a question from mike here in the chat and he's asking mm -hmm. if at zalando you have databases that span across clouds and data centers and if you do what kind of challenges have you had with that well so we use only aws as a cloud we don't have uh, like anything on google or uh, on azure like okay. uh, in some cases we have uh, databases running just in our data center and we have replicas running on aws but uh, the challenges that it's not possible to not always possible to get direct connections from the cloud to uh, to data center therefore like for postgres we rely on um, right ahead locks uh, like on lock archiving on lock shipping basically in the data center we uh, configured archive command uh, to ship logs to s3 and uh, cluster which is running on aws uh, pulls uh, right ahead logs from s3 and replace and depending on how many transactions and how much uh, right ahead log is generated the replication like you you could be like of different uh, time like for, for clusters which we run it's usually like uh, not more than 10 seconds and like due to the nature like due to the requirements of from such uh, replicas it's absolutely fine because like those are used for analytics mm -hmm. so this is uh, another good one that i was actually going to ask and mike is kind of echoing it but He's wondering what kind of shortcomings you see in the operators and um, in the Zalando operators that we're talking about right now, that is, and what enhancements would you like to see as we move forward? Well, so uh, there are already quite a few interesting pull requests uh, from external people. Uh, specifically, one of them is... Uh, implementing uh, uh, like let's say smart uh, restart of Patroni and Postgres like right now operator like when you change configuration that does everything very dummy it uh, like if you for example change work them like it's a po like configuration parameter in Postgres which doesn't require restart but operator like still uh, when applies this parameter it uh, starts terminating pods and this is very annoying although like in like on production people don't change or don't play with parameters so often but it is still annoying and uh, we had like uh, this issue we, we knew about this issue we had like uh, it in the backlog but luckily there is one guy working for cybertech volunteers to implement it and uh, like how it will look like operator will call patroni api please uh, update uh, workmem and uh, patroni will uh, do everything like what is required it will update postgres configuration and uh, reload postgres that's it and like there are of course some uh, exceptions where uh, restart is required for example when you uh, decide to change shared buffers or where when you um, change max connections in this case uh, restart of postgres required but again 
you don't need to uh, kill the pod for that. But operator is still doing it. And uh, yeah, so like it would be a very nice improvement, in my opinion. Awesome. So now moving on into like uh, these, I, I want to talk uh, a little bit about replicas because I know you were mentioning that earlier and this high availability. Uh, but before we get into that, I'm just, I want to finish off this, this thread on the operator itself. And, mm -hmm. and um, like, do you feel like these operators that you've been working with, especially Petroni, they are easily customizable or is it something that you need to have deep, deep knowledge in them and you need to study it for a few days before you can go and, and make it your own? Well, yeah. It's again, uh, like, let's say, like, operators, Pila, Patroni, like, maybe, like, not Patroni, but definitely operator and Spila are a little bit opinionated. Like, that's... that's uh, the way how we usually run stuff like on AWS, we rely on uh, instance metadata to get temporary credential and uh, like in order to access uh, like a three storage, for example. And um, like if you don't run on AWS, you uh, but you want to use uh, S3 compatible storage, you need to provide some special uh, like environment variables. And it's sort of documented, but probably not very easy to find. And I think people spend uh, sometimes uh, quite a bit of a time finding this information or figuring out how to do. But uh, from another side, I know examples that people maintain their own uh, like fork of spill image because they want to have very specific extensions or maybe they want to have uh, not Wally and Wolji as uh, backup uh, tool, but like the quite popular and advanced PGBackRest and like people also fork Spila and uh, maintain their work like by changing some stuff. And there is even a more extreme example. I know that TimescaleDB uh, also using Zalanda operator, but they built their own uh, Docker image from scratch. Like it, of course it relies on Patroni, but like uh, except Patroni, like th there is nothing from Spila. Uh, so I went out and I sourced a few questions from your friends and uh, workmates. And one person that I asked uh, about what they would want to ask you or what they wanted me to ask you was Sandor Swix. I think you know him. Mm -hmm. And yeah. he asked me to ask you how you handle rolling cluster updates. Oh, yeah. So there are, in my opinion, there are two different uh, rolling upgrades. Like one, when we need to change the Docker image of uh, like of Spila because we want to, I don't know, upgrade Patroni version or do like minor upgrade of the Postgres. Uh, since uh, Docker image supposed to be like immute, um, so yeah, immutable. You you are not supposed to like exec and uh, like run up get update and and so on. Uh, 
basically the only strategy you like prepare you the new image and you need to do rolling upgrade. So operator also solves this problem. Like it knows uh, that there are three pods in the cluster, two replicas, one master. So it starts with one of the replicas. It uh, updates stateful set and terminates uh, the pod which running the replica. Operator waits uh, until a replica will become healthy and starts streaming from the master and terminate the second replica. And uh, the, the same procedure, it will wait until it again starts streaming from the master. And the next step, it's uh, th th there is Patroni involved. Um, Postgres operator calls Patroni API and uh, asking for a switch over. So like Patroni will, uh, gracefully shut down the master, like uh, to, to ensure that no transactions are lost, uh, like and to, to minimize the downtime. And one of the replicas uh, also managed by Patroni will promote to the master. And as a last step, uh, we are terminating remaining pod, which was former master. But uh, another problem, it's a rolling upgrade of Kubernetes itself. Uh, like I think, I, I don't, remember exactly how often uh, like new releases of Kubernetes happening, but uh, the, the unfortunate thing is that like with new release, um, you have to rotate worker nodes on the Kubernetes. And it means that uh, like you need to basically terminate all pods on such nodes. Like for stateless applications, it's not generally not an issue. You run multiple copies and uh, basically you will start receiving traffic to other pods on new instances, but like for stateful, um, it's a big problem. And uh, what operator does, it uh, listens uh, for uh, state of nodes on Kubernetes. And if it notices that this specific node is scheduled to be uh, like decommissioned or restarted or something like this, and operator also knows that on this specific node, we have a master pod running. So like what operator does in such case, it uh, does a switch over, like in order to ensure that uh, like uh, on this node, th there will be no master running and it will be unaffected. But the tricky thing is that replica also could be running on the node, which is supposed to be decommissioned. You see where it's going. Yeah, so like, and operator also knows this fact. And uh, therefore, operator first terminates the replica on the node which to be decommissioned, wait until this replica uh, re resurrect on the node which was already mm -hmm. upgraded, and only after that it does a switch over. Basically, uh, this way we can uh, like, nearly 100% guarantee that during such rolling upgrade, uh, the, there will be just a single switch over. So like uh, we want to minimize uh, amount of uh, interruptions uh, for applications, like which work in this database. And since you're talking about replication, is there a wrong way to approach replication in order to know what to avoid or is it just a question of trade-offs? Uh, replication, replication. Well, I don't know, like if it's ever possible to get it totally wrong, <laughs> like definitely not with Patroni. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Well, but uh, like if if we talk about Postgres, uh, like there are two uh, different replication mechanisms. One is a physical replication where you literally replicate everything on the block level. Like when you change uh, the tuple, it uh, like the tuple is stored in the page, and this page or like just a fraction of this page where replication protocol is transmitted to the replica, and replica recreates this. Uh, like tuple recreates this page exactly in, in the same format as on the master, like bit by bit, like byte by byte, like page by page. So it's absolutely identical at the end. Uh, and the second replication mechanism, it's a logical replication, where you actually stream not physical data, but logical data. Like you know that uh, there was a new tuple inserted into a specific table and you, uh, while logical replication, you get just the tuple. And it allows to like build a lot of uh, interesting stuff, like change data, data capture. Like you can, for example, push such changes to Kafka and uh, like, yeah, you, you can do a lot of amazing things. <laughs> So, but like uh, for, for uh, high availability, like only uh, physical replication is uh, like is a good choice, I would say, because uh, like while lo logical replication does not replicate DDL, it doesn't replicate information about users, uh, about like databases, like a lot of stuff is missing in the logical replication. Okay, and since you since you sorry to mention, but since you mentioned uh, high availability. Just if you could possibly give us a very short summary of the talk that you gave about how not to screw up when building a high avail availability cluster, um, we'll put the we'll put the link later on so that people can watch the full talk. But if you could give us just like a short summary of the of the key points that are mentioned there. Well, uh, short summary, like first of all, you have to define for yourself uh, with the help of uh, like business people whether you need it or not, like because. Like if you can afford downtime, like uh, half an hour, maybe one hour, like you, you can live fine without high availability. But like, I probably repeating myself, I already uh, uh, told my thoughts about this topic a little bit earlier. Like the, the, the second, what you should think about that um, you need to uh, distribute your hardware across uh, different failure domains. Like in case if you have multiple data centers, you need to probably have uh, master and replica distributed across data centers. Uh, like another point, uh, like if you uh, want to build something quickly, uh, like homegrown solution with the help of, I don't know, pink command or like maybe something smarter, like you running script on the replica, which checks whether the master node is alive. Uh, unfortunately, like th there are two outcomes, like either master node is dead or maybe something wrong with the network. And uh, since like the uh, possibilities of both scenarios are nearly equal, I would say, uh, it's not just possible to uh, build something by checking uh, the health, the state of your cluster from a single point. First of all, it's a single point of failure. And the second that you cannot really uh, like solve the network partitioning problem. Therefore, like you need to use uh, something like Raft, Zap, uh, or Paxos algorithms. 
basically like they uh, uh, solve the network partitioning problem for you. Like maybe you can try to implement something on your own, but like most likely you will fail. <laughs> That's why Patroni relying on uh, well-battle-tested HCD. Uh, yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff. So continuing along that HA theme, I know we had Ren Lee on here uh, a month or so ago, and she was talking about how to balance HA with cost. And you touched on it a bit. I think it's really important what you said is talk with business people, see if you can have some downtime, but do you have other ideas on how to really look at the, the cost of this whole HA and how, how do we decide what is important and what isn't? Well, so uh, HA topic usually also doesn't go alone. Like it goes very close with disaster recovery and uh, like backup. Basically, uh, it all depends on how much data you can lose and what, what is your uh, maximum recovery time? Like with Postgres, you can get uh, like, uh, let's say zero data loss if you run a synchronous replica. Uh, at the same time, like uh, there might be different uh, scenario when somebody connects to the database and by mistake drops the table or truncates the table. In this case, you need to recover uh, from the backup. Like backup could be like quite huge, like let's say a few terabytes. But again, Postgres has some mechanisms which allow them to run the delayed replica. Basically replica, which is uh, like for purpose configured to lag behind the primary by a very specific amount of time. Let's say one hour, maybe like uh, six hours. Uh, instead of restoring from the backup, you can, uh, like uh, reconfigure such a delayed replica to stop exactly at the moment when the truncation, like where data loss happened. Uh, and here where the price comes, like if you want to minimize recovery time, like you need to pay for such a delayed replica. Like maybe you can use it for analytics, like uh, therefore you will save a little bit but uh, yeah, something like this. And if we uh, we are talking about synchronous replication, uh, because we want to uh, ensure that uh, no, like when you do transactions, the transaction is uh, committed not only on the master that it, uh, reached one of, at least one of the replicas. Uh, such uh, option in Postgres exists, but uh, like there is always performance penalty, like because. You need to uh, wait until this transaction is sent to the replica and until replica replies that, okay, so I received it, I uh, saved it to, to disk and applied. And th that means that your hardware will be uh, not performing as fast as uh, without synchronous replication. This is also some sort of a price for uh, high availability. And uh, uh, another uh, dimension of uh, such I am not sure like whether it's possible to uh, reach it uh, to like to, to count uh, count it in money or like uh, if it's possible to uh, get very small downtime with Patroni, probably not. 
but uh, sometimes there are requirements of having uh, really uh, like zero downtime. So, like Postgres is a single master system and uh, with Patroni, like you uh, can uh, promote replica within like 20 or 30 seconds, like depending on how you configure it. But it's not really possible to get smaller than this um, 20 seconds. And during 20 seconds, uh, you, you will have unavailability. And uh, sometimes people come in and asking, ah, like we can't afford like downtime at all. Like this 20 seconds is not access, uh, acceptable for us. Like in this case, Patron will not help. Like there are some, uh, let's say, commercial sol solutions, maybe not for Postgres. Maybe for Postgres, but but something like uh, BDR with um, its own uh, pros and cons, uh, but uh, like it, it costs money. So, like yeah. if you want to have zero downtime, you will pay for it, and you probably will pay for it a lot. Like yeah. if you want to minimize uh, recovery uh, time, like you probably also have to pay something. Uh, yeah. That's, so. I've got a question here from Brian, and I'm not sure if it's just him trolling me or us, <laughs> or if it's a genuine question. He's asking, why do people use Oracle? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, I'm not a, an Oracle person. So, yeah. Pro pro I think probably might... like back old days, um, there were not so many competitors and uh, when I first started with Postgres in 2001, uh, it didn't even had write ahead log. Uh, so, of course, uh, like the only possible replication was uh, like let's say logical replication, but implemented with third-party tools, uh, and we didn't even use uh, use it back then. But or Oracle uh, already had everything, and it was quite advanced. Uh, but nowadays, uh, I know uh, the opinion of uh, one person who actually invented uh, the the Patroni guy, like a <laughs> label for me, like he tells, sometimes, uh, maybe not even sometimes, but uh, it's often uh, uh, cheaper to develop missing feature for Postgres than uh, pay for Oracle support. So I, I don't know, like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's very often that people uh, use Oracle because they have like a contract or maybe they legally are applied, yeah. but something like this. But uh, like personally, no, I would never choose Oracle <laughs> for new projects or for, for existing projects. And I would always uh, encourage people to migrate. Like Postgres is a great database with a lot of features. And uh, in... 99% of cases, uh, it will work just fine. In the case of um, in the case of Zolando, and because earlier you were mentioning the importance of having a business case and keeping the business mentality in mind, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on the numbers, right? But from what I understand, Zolando has uh, over 145 million orders, 4 billion site visits, and I think about 31 million customers. And that was from I think from 2019, so I imagine this year even more. Um, how big do you um, do you need to to have uh, your to how big does it need to be for you to get to the point where you need to have that conversation and say you know what I think we need a database as a service. Oh, <laughs> again, with database as a service, it's a 
pick a topic. Like you, you can just get it from uh, AWS, from Google, like from like nearly every cloud vendor, and a lot of uh, like small companies and startups also providing database as a service. That's not something what uh, like you really need to go to the management and like, tell that we need to have it. But uh, uh, the other side of such uh, commercial solutions that it's uh, you usually uh, you easily get in, but it's very tricky to get out. Mm. Yeah, like uh, when we run everything on our own, like we can migrate uh, like whatever data where we want to, and nobody is holding us. Uh, some time ago uh, on RDS, it wasn't even possible to have uh, outbound replication. Like they still don't allow to uh, replicate like physically, but logical replication is possible. So this is already something. But uh, for us, uh, yeah, like since we run quite a lot of different workloads, uh, like hundreds of clusters. Uh, like if everything is unified, where we where we can install the tools we use to, and uh, which actually uh, help to um, investigate problems faster than like with other tools, like it pays off, I believe. Uh, but since uh, Postgres operator, which we built already there, like everybody can use it and. Uh, you basically don't even need probably to explain to a management that I want to run some like internal database as a service. It's already open. It's under a permissive license. Just take it. <laughs> take it and have fun with it. So, yeah. but like, of course, uh, you are responsible for stuff you run. And uh, probably I should also uh, tell that, unfortunately, I don't like uh, when people try to use GitHub issues as a channel of support for uh, their own like very little problems. Uh, it's like flying the huge airplane. Uh, you, you, you have uh, uh, fully automatic, uh, like autopilot. You just turn it on uh, and it's flying itself. But in case of something goes wrong, you good, you better know how to fly manually. And uh, in case if you go to a Postgres topic, you still need, you, you still better understand how physical replication work, how to configure it uh, manually, where to look uh, for errors, like wh where is the Postgres error log, like or Postgres logs, something like this. Uh, like it's a, yeah, th there are always uh, b benefits and th there are always some cons. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, Let's talk a bit. Uh, I have a question from Evan in the chat, and he was wondering, and forgive my ignorance on this if I, I don't know what it means, but he's wondering where does the operator end and the role of the DBA begin? Well, so basically operator only helps to orchestrate uh, stuff like uh, user management, like creation of databases, rolling upgrade, uh, like or configuration management of the Postgres. But operator, of course, will not check uh, your workload. It will not check uh, like whether your indexes are bloated and you need to re-index or repack them. It will not check uh, PGStat statements and will not find the 
like badly written queries or misbehaving queries, something like this. Uh, so like you, you still need DBA, like uh, just uh, a single missing index can ruin completely your deployment. Like let's say I've seen cases with very small database, just like 100 next. And uh, it uh, like it uses 100% of available CPU on the node, and uh, yeah, like no, nobody understands why. You like as a DBA, you check like the query plan with explain, and you find okay, so there is a missing index. You create this very little index, and everything starts flying. Like operator, of course, will not do it for you. Yeah, so like. Another uh, thing, like it's not very common in the cloud, but uh, because usually cloud vendors, like in case of uh, some hardware is misbehaving, will uh, like stop it, terminate. Maybe they will send in advance uh, the email to you, like please do something because we are, we are going to terminate the specific instance. But like if you run on premises, uh, you better check uh, like lock of hardware errors. Maybe your disk starts failing. Like uh, again, operator or like uh, uh, other tools, not non-monitoring tools will not do it for you. It's not their responsibility. So. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting points there. So I think I've got one last question. It seems like we're running down on time, and I wanted to ask if these operators that we've been talking about from Zalando, if they handle the failover automatically and promote. The uh, the I know some people don't like it if you say slave to the master, um, or do you use uh, so yeah? Let's just stick with that for now. Does the operator handle yeah. the fail failover automatically? So yeah, I will explain. Uh, no, I, I it's, that's not operator who handles the failover. It's a patroni. Basically, once you deployed the cluster, uh, you can even shut down operator for maintenance or like. For whatever reason, but uh, automatic failover will continue to work. It's a Patroni responsibility, and Patroni is running on, on every pod where uh, Postgres and spill uh, are running. And in case of primary failed, like uh, master or primary, that's uh, what uh, terms are used in Postgres world, uh, then one of the replica uh, will uh, notice that. There is no primary, and they will start leader race, and one of them will uh, take it over and promote to the master. Awesome, man! Yeah, this so, has been great. This is super exciting. I... Yeah, and actually, I know that uh, like Patroni is used for high availability for not only by uh, Zalanda Postgres operator. There is a Zalanda, there is a Postgres operator from Crunchy. Uh, yeah. Like uh, it also last year, I think uh, started using Patroni for high availability. But before that, they have used their own solution. And uh, there is also a Postgres operator from uh, uh, Ongres, uh, I think. Yeah. And and I think I'm not. I don't it, know all the details, but I know we had Rick Vasquez on here uh, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the Percona operator is going to also be using mm. some of these from Zalando. And mm. so it's definitely yeah, it's totally possible. 
I know that Pircon also like promoting Patronians, using Patronia for high availability. Therefore, I don't see any single reason why they shouldn't use it for uh, for Kubernetes. Yeah, and it's definitely a solid operator and system that you have set up. I am very thankful to be able to talk with you, Mr. Petroni himself. Me too. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I want to thank everybody that is still here with us. And if you are not in our Slack channel, I will throw a link in the chat right now, or you can find it um, just going to our dok.community website and clicking on Slack. And that is a place where we talk about all of this stuff on a daily basis. We're trying to get it moving, get more people interested in it, because I know that doing data on kubernetes is not as easy as we would like it to be yet and so we are trying to mature it and make it evolve by talking about it by discussing problems that we're having so i'll throw that in the uh in the chat right now in case anyone wants to check it out there is a whole channel that is on <laughs> That is all about operators. So hopefully you will enjoy that. If you like the um, this chat that we just had. And let me just make sure that I get it right. All right. And there you go. So feel free to join. I will see everybody later. Thank you for staying with us. And thank you again, Alexander. This is awesome. Thank you. Have a nice evening. You okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot.